Welcome back to The Caption Life, and in this mini-episode, we're going to talk about Hawkeye Episode 3, Echoes. Let's go, bro. To the Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society, and vice versa. I am Sean, co-host and editor of the show. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, and follow us on social media at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. You can also find out more information and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. It's December 1st, 2021, and we just got the third episode out of six of the Marvel Studios series Hawkeye on Disney+. And I've got to tell you, this is my favorite episode of all the projects that we've had so far because this has just been everything that you want in an episode. It has great action. It has glimpses that feels more to some of the rumors that we've been hearing uh, over you know three or four months. It has great representation for the deaf and physically disabled community. It has humor and even has a scene that will make you ball your eyes out. I know I did. So before we get started with this review, I am going to let you know that there is spoilers in this episode, and I will be talking about a couple of theories and questions I have at the end. So if you haven't watched the episode yet, go ahead and put this on pause, go watch it, and then come back and listen to this. So let's dive right on in. And the title of the episode, Echoes, obviously is a call out to Maya Lopez that this episode is going to be focusing on, just like how episode one was the episode all about Kate Bishop and introducing us to her. Episode 3, Echoes, is all about Maya Lopez and introducing us to her as well. And so I love the title Echoes because, again, it's talking about Maya Lopez, but it's also going to feature a little bit more about some of the struggles that both her and Clint have with uh, what they're hearing, with being deaf or hard of hearing. But it's also, you know, just a metaphor for how things just kind of come back, right? I mean, we've kind of seen this before in episode one and two, but we see that Clint's Pass is finally catching up to him and that he's going to have to deal with this. So I love the title for this. I think it has a lot of different layers. So great job to the writing staff there. So in the recap scene, and I mentioned this in the previous episode, and I'll put this in the show link, but Clint's son, Nate, talks to Clint in ASL, American Sign Language. And I was wondering why that was, because it's probably something that really wasn't necessary for Clint, but it does give us an opportunity for Clint and Maya to have that sort of communication and have that connection with each other. So not as much as I thought it was going to be, but it's still there. So they have that in the recap scene, and we're going to see that play out in this episode. So as I mentioned, this episode is all about Echo, and this is our second deaf character in the MCU. Our first one was Makari in the movie Eternals. So this is going to be our second one that we're having. Now, before we get into the episode, let me talk a little bit about the actress that plays Maya Lopez, Alakwa Cox, which I think... I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, please let me know. Uh, shoot me a tweet or um, contact us on our social media. And just let me know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or not. Because I tried to look this up and see how to pronounce it correctly. But I've been hearing it uh, pronounced a couple different ways. And so I don't know which one's the correct way. So let me know if you know the, the correct pronunciation for that. But um, for this episode, I will refer to her as Alakwa Cox. Like Echo, she is also Native American, which I talk about Echo's background in the previous episode. And Alakwa Cox is also deaf. 
this is really great for Marvel to do. I think it's great representation. And we also get a character that is being played by an actor who knows that background and knows those struggles and those experiences as well, too. So I love the fact that while we're watching Maya Lopez in the show, we're also getting a little bit of a glimpse of the person, Alakwa Cox, as well, too. She's also an amputee, which Maya Lopez is not an amputee in the comics, but Marvel made that part of her character, which I think is great as well. So I love they tie that in. This is an added trait of her character that we're going to see, and I think it does really well for the story. I think it does really well for representation. I just absolutely love it. I love that they include it as opposed to trying to hide it, right? So let's go ahead and go into the episode and talk about the opening scene where we see Maya's classroom and how she is struggling with school because she is deaf. Uh, she's struggling with lip reading, maybe because this is you know early on in the process that she's still learning how to lip read. But we also see that you know the teacher and her classmates turn away. And so, and I have to say for myself that I am hard of hearing. And growing up, I learned to lip read out of necessity. And so I can relate to the fact that when people you know look away or speaking or turned away from you, even if they're talking to you before and they look away. It is hard for someone who is deaf or hard of hearing to know what you're saying, either because your voice is projecting somewhere else or they can't read your lips anymore. So I really love this. And I love that they included that here. Um, But what I also love is that not only do they show the struggle of a deaf student in a typical classroom, but they also show that Maya is very intelligent. You know, we saw this when the teacher came up and she was about to tell Maya that she needs to pay attention. But then she looks down and saw that Maya actually did all of her work as she did it correctly. And I love this because it shows that a person is beyond their disability, right? Just because someone is deaf doesn't mean that they're less than or doesn't mean that they're incapable of doing something. So I love that they included this in here. So then we get to the scene about Maya and her father talking um, at bedtime. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end um, about a missed opportunity that Marvel had here. But they're talking and they're talking about her experience and how she wants to go to a school for the deaf. And then Maya started talking to her father about dragons, which I thought was interesting. I don't know, you know, why that brought that up. It made me think of Shang-Chi at first because I know the father said like, no, they're probably not real. But we know in Shang-Chi, if you've seen the movie, that a dragon is real. And we saw that in Talao. Um, But I thought it was interesting that they started talking about dragons. And, and I'll get to that towards the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Um, I think there is something that's really interesting here. And then after this, we see the martial arts scene and we get a glimpse of Maya's powers. Okay, so remember that Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, she is a hero. She is not a mutant or has any superpowers, but she does have an amplified powers, what I call it, which is she can mimic anybody that she watches. And we see that because we see her focusing on how her opponent is moving. And then she actually uses that against that person. Right. And so we actually see a little bit glimpse of Maya's power of being able to mimic anybody that she sees, which is very similar to Taskmaster. If you know anything about that character, we saw Taskmaster in Black Widow. And uh, the character is also in Marvel Comics, I think is usually associated with uh, Spider-Man, if I remember correctly. Um, But in the same scene, while she's talking to her father, the father walks away and we see a mysterious man in a black suit walk up to her. We don't see his face. We just see his chest and his arm and he caresses the side of her face like they know each other, right? Like she's looking at him like she recognizes him and has like a great history with this person and you hear him chuckle. So who is this man in a black suit, right? I'm going to get to that at the end of the episode as well, too. I'll give you my theory and I'll give you a couple of things 
to think about with that. But there is probably a reason why they're doing it this way, again, because of some of the rumors we've been hearing, right? So we see Maya as a child and as an adult in her fighting scenes. And again, her being an amputee is also the actress's real physical disability. And this is a great way to show how this doesn't hold her back and how able people shouldn't assume that they can't do things or less than, right? And so I talked about that before. I think that just in the opening 10 minutes of this show alone, they did a great way of presenting this um, fantastically. So I, I want to give kudos to the writing staff and to uh, the director and everybody involved. Like this was just a great way to do that. I really love this. And then later on, we see Maya enter a garage where we see Ronan is killing the tracksuit mafia, right? And we find out that Maya's father was also part of the tracksuit mafia, which is how she has been associated with them. And she saw Ronan sliced her father's stomach and then she holds him and he dies in her arms, right? So it looks like Ronan killed him. But I'm going to say this. I think this is very interesting that it might not be who we think it is. And I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end as well, too. But we don't see Clint's face. We just see someone in a black suit. It looks very much like Ronan and the sword is Ronan. So it probably is the mantle Ronan. But I don't know if it's actually Clint yet. Okay. So now we jump to the scene where Kate and Clint is tied up to those mechanical riding machines. I don't know what you even call them, right? But uh, it's just hilarious to see them tied to that. And Kate talks to one of the bros and they talk about the Imagine Dragon tickets. And that conversation was just hilarious to watch, right? And as Kate talks to Clint, it's very clear that he should be favoring his left ear, but he doesn't seem to tilt his head. But I think that's on purpose because later on you see that he probably is just sick and tired of hearing Kate talk all the time, right? And so he probably kept it that way. So I thought it was kind of an interesting touch. And I think that was intentional because people who have a stronger ear for hearing, they tend to favor, like tilt their head towards that direction. But I think Clinton's doing this on purpose because he's like, I'm okay with not listening to her right now, right? So then we get the scene where Maya shows up and she starts talking to Clint and notices his hearing aid. And she starts signing to him in American Sign Language. And we see that Clint's ASL is very minimal, which, again, makes sense because he is hard of hearing, but he is not deaf. So he doesn't have that need to understand the American Sign Language to the full extent. Okay, And what I love about this is that it shows the diversity inside the deaf and hard of hearing community itself as well, too. Now, just to go off on a little tangent, I, I don't know much about this specific issue, but I will share this is that I know in the deaf community, a very controversial topic is if a deaf person elects to get a cochlear implant. Um, my wife and her job, she works with some people who are from the deaf community, and I hear this from her from time to time, but I know this is a very divisive decision in the deaf community. And I don't know if this is also the same way for those who are deaf and see hearing aids, if someone decides to get a hearing aid. I, I don't know if that's the same extent, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of what Echo is also alluding to in the series, because he does say that, you know, he relies on technology a lot with the hearing aid. And so I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, so I don't know if that's, you know, where they're drawing some of that conversation from. I'm not sure, but I thought I'd share that with you all. So um, Clint then tells Maya that Kate is not Ronan. <laughs> And he says, look at her. She's nine, right? Like, I love the fact that he's still ribbing on her and he's just making fun of her and just bantering the whole time, right? Just kind of, you know, putting her in her place all the time. And he says that Ronan is dead and Maya asks who got him, right? And 
then we see that audibly as the audience, we can't hear Clint's answer, right? Because we, it just kind of muffles. And then we see Kazi sign uh, in American Sign Language say Black Widow. But as I mentioned before, I'm hard of hearing. So I've learned to read lips growing up. And it looks like he's saying Natasha Romanoff. So I thought it was interesting that Kazi um, signed Black Widow probably because it was just easier and more recognizable to do that way. Um, and I think this is kind of a nice metaphor here about how Nat's sacrifice uh, for Clint is what killed Ronan. So I think, you know, not only is he just trying to keep himself safe, but I think it's just a nice metaphor to kind of show, you know, it, it's almost like the Obi-Wan Kenobi effect, right? Like how Obi-Wan told Luke Skywalker that Darth Vader killed his father, Anakin, when really Anakin is Darth Vader. I think this is kind of like that same thing. So Disney owning Star Wars and doing this, probably a nice little nod over there, right? Um, I think what's also interesting is in this scene, it seemed like it focused a lot on Kazi's hand. And I noticed that Kazi had a tattoo. So I don't know if the focus on Kazi's hand signing Black Widow meant anything. Is it, you know, focusing on the tattoo or is it just really emphasizing the Black Widow part? I'm not sure. I thought it was just an interesting way for them to do this. I don't know if it has any significance other than, you know, just demonstrating the experience that a deaf person has. Right. Maybe it's only that. So then we get to the Maya and Clint fight scene and he hits her leg with a stick and in broken half. And he was shocked understandably because he probably wasn't expecting her to have a prosthetic leg, right? And then she kicks out his hearing aid and smashes it. And again, this was foreshadowed because she told him that he was relying on technology. So we know this was going to happen. So then we see Clint grabs his bow and arrows. And this is just an awesome scene when after he pins Echo to the wall, he jumps over the railing sideways and the framing of him in the camera shows him flying sideways like what we see in the trailer, which I thought was interesting because when we saw the trailer it's like you know why are they doing it sideways but it's because we're seeing it from the perspective of if we're standing straight up that is the angle that clint would appear to us so it's brilliant now and it makes sense and i love that right it's just such a great way to be able to like show that it's fantastic just the cinematography in this episode alone is just awesome i can't again i can't say enough good things about this right so the arrow slices through a tracksuit mafia bro cuts Kate's restraints and this is all slow motion and she gasps like it's the coolest thing she's ever seen so now she's kind of back to being a fangirl right um so it's just nice to see Clint back in action with his bow and arrow and he does the no hook shot like what we saw in the Avengers movie right and then Kate's fight scene with Kazi was really good Uh, I love seeing her whip around the column like that and I think it's a good glimpse of what we can expect later on because they seem like they're rivals already and I think they're going to face off a little bit later, either in the series or later down the road in future episodes or something like that. So Kate thinks that Clinton's ignoring her while they're running outside. But again, he can't hear her now that his hearing aid is smashed. And then <laughs> what I love is when they're stealing the car, Kate wanted to get the Challenger. And Clint tells her that we're not smashing the Challenger because he respects that model and the appreciation that he has for that style of car. And, you know, it's so practical. And I know my dad who is a mechanic and a car buff would be happy to see that as well, too. So what's interesting is that this whole two minute frame to this two minute scene that we see is actually something that we saw from Disney Plus Day. And I remember watching at first, I was a little disappointed because I thought that somehow they took out the hearing aid and that Clint was able to hear again. But then when I watched it a second time, I paid attention and it was clear that Clint was having trouble hearing her. And it turns out, you know, I was right. I tweeted that out. I was like, 
after watching it, I actually think that he isn't able to hear her in this scene because when you watch what he's doing and watch and uh, listening to paying attention to when he responds to Kate, it doesn't line up exactly right. Like Kate is talking to him and it seems like he's responding to her, but he's not really responding to her in that same way. And then he says, I am not hearing you, which should have been a clue for us as well, too, because I think people just assume that he was just dismissing her and saying, I'm not going to do that. But what we find out is that he is literally saying, I am not hearing you. Okay. And we get more confirmation on this when, when you watch the trailer, there's a part where Kate is talking to Clint and you can hear it as the audience solidly, right? And there's no issues with the audio or anything like that. But in the episode itself, Kate's voice is muffled to simulate how Clinton's hearing her as being hard of hearing. So again, this just points out to the fact that Clint was having trouble hearing this whole time. And it turns out it ends up being a comedic experience for everybody. And I love it. So as they get in the car, they're driving away. We get the Nutcracker song. And whoever thought of this is just brilliant because it syncs up to the action very well. And it's just a great, a great way to just put in a little bit Christmas and make it comical that way, right? Now we get the car chasing that we've seen in all the trailers and that's really popular now. And again, this is straight out of the comics. I don't know what issue number this is. I know it's early on in the run, but the car, the scenes, the angles, a lot of this is straight from the Matt Fraction, the Vidaha, Matt Hollingsworth comic run with the with everything that's in here, right? It's the same car, but in the comics, Kate was driving with Clint shooting the bow and arrows, but they switched it here. And I think it's a great way to just display Kate's archery skills in action because we've already seen this in Clint Barton. So now we're going to see how good Kate is with a bow and arrow. And she nails it, right? The camera work in the car with the 360 view action inside it is amazing. I don't know if I've seen that in any other movie or film. I'm sure there probably is. I can't remember, but this was just amazing in how they did this. So I absolutely loved it. And I love how they have a trusted bro truck. So great. I, I can't remember if that was from the comics as well, too. But I think it was just a great way to really lean into that bro part. And then we see the trick arrows. And a lot of them are just fantastic. A lot of them very practical. Again, some of them are from the comics. A lot of them are not practical, uh, like the USB arrow. Again, that's from the comics as well, too. And there was a part when Clint says to Kate to be careful. She says, I was born careful. Again, that's a line straight from the comics. And this whole scene, and then watching them communicate here during the car chase is hilarious, right? Because Kate would suggest something, and then five seconds later, Clint would say the same exact thing. And so it's just, it's comedic all the way through. But it's also genius because it shows how they're meshing really well together, like they're partners already, right? And we see that at the end of the episode that they actually work well together, that they could be a really formidable and dangerous team when they're put together and that they're a force that is not easy to overpower, right? And then at the end, when Clint tells Kate to shoot the arrow straight up to land on the van, and then we see him shoot the PIM arrow and enlarge the arrow. Fantastic. And we, this is something that's not from the comics, but I love this. I think it was a great way to end that whole fight scene it was just oh my gosh i i couldn't i can't say enough great things about the action scene there's just so much about it right and then after that they get away uh, by using grappling arrow and they get back on the subway and clint tells kate that maybe she is right that she is a great archer and you could just tell that just made her whole life right there right 
And I love the fact that they both said that the dog needs to be walked at different times. And they just said this after they escaped getting shot at and potentially dying, that the next thought is like, oh, my gosh, we didn't take the dog off a walk. Right. I love that. It's just it's it's fantastic. This this camaraderie, this bantering, the synchronization that they have as partners. It's just I love that. And then I don't know if you caught this in the subway, but there's a poster behind Kate that says that the counseling service or whatever they're advertising for are trained to help families move forward together. So again, it's a nice little nod. It's a funny way to kind of talk about how Kate and Clint are off to Rocky start. But now at this point in the show, they're moving forward together, right? I just love that. So, and then we get to the phone call scene with Clint, Kate and Clint's son, Nate. And I'm not going to lie. This is heart wrenching. I, I'm a father myself and I cried hard during this scene. Like, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld did a great job acting on this. You know, seeing Clint struggle already with not having his hearing aid and not being able to communicate to his son and have to rely on Kate, which was great that Kate, you know, just started writing out what his son was saying to him. That was fantastic that she just did that on her own and was trying to help. And it was just, you know, heartbreaking to see that he couldn't talk to Nate directly. And then he started talking about how it's Christmas movie night and he's going to miss that. And then his son said, it's okay if you have to miss it. And then he said, it's okay if you have to miss Christmas too. And you can just tell that that is killing Clint so much. And it's like, Kate is crying. I'm crying right now just talking about this again. Like, it's just heart-wrenching. And you just, you're so moved. And you know that Kate took that to heart. And she's like, thinking, I got to get him home for Christmas, right? Like, she realizes that this is not a fun adventure for him. It's not as great as she thought it was going to be because she realizes that he has a life and that he has responsibilities and that her wanting him to mentor her is actually holding him back from being able to spend time with his family, right? And so now she's putting things in perspective. So it was just, I I don't know if I've ever cried during any other MCU project, any other show or any other movie. And this one, as I was watching, I cried and I cried hard. And so it's just... Oh my gosh, this, like I said, this episode is fantastic. And I just can't get enough of this. So, so we get to the scene where Kazi and Maya talk and Kazi mentions an uncle. He talks about our uncle or the uncle, right? And, and captions, uh, when you see them signing, uncle is capitalized. So again, who is this uncle? I'm going to talk about this at the end on who this person possibly could be. And then later on, we see that Clint and Kate gets Clint's hearing aids fixed. Now, I'm not sure why they didn't just buy another one. Maybe there's something special about this one. Kate has the money. I'm sure she could just go and buy a new one. I know that she doesn't have credit cards or anything like that. But I mean, you know, she could probably figure out how to get the money to buy a new one. Um, but who knows? Like, maybe I, I'm not sure why they decided to have it fixed as opposed to um, getting a new one. I know hearing aids from when I was growing up are expensive. And so maybe it was cheaper to fix it rather than to get a new one. Who knows? And then we get to the diner scene. And I love that Clint had the hearing aid out when Kate was talking. I'm sure he was thinking that Maya was right when she was talking about you should not use technology because it could hold you back. And he kind of looks at Kate and that scene is like, yeah, I thought about that, right? As a little uh, jab to her. And he's doing the same thing. Kate's talking this whole time. And then you see him put his hearing aid in. And she's like, that's been out the whole time. <laughs> I love that. And then they just have an honest discussion about the life of a hero, how there's good things and there's bad things. And it's nice because you can see that they're kind of coming to grips and realizing that 
they need each other for a lot of different things, right? Like they bring out the best of each other and they ground each other very well. So I love that. We get to see Kate throwback to drawing the Hawkeye costume that we've seen in the uh, original comics and the classic comics, right? And of course, Clint thought it was ridiculous. And Kate is starting to realize that Clint is Ronan or knows it's someone that's close to him, right? So again, this kind of alludes to when I was talking about my previous episode that Kate is starting to become a little bit of investigative side and we're seeing that. And so I really think that Disney is probably uh, creating a path for Kate to become a private eye in future films or future projects as well, too. So Kate's realizing that. I don't think she realizes that Clinton's Ronan, but I think she's getting close to that. And so they get into that truth, that moment of truth, when they're realizing they're going to have to team up in order to take down the tracksuit mafia and get this thing resolved. And then, again, we don't have a name for Pizza Dog, right? Like, Kate is still trying to figure out what to call him, and she gives him all these names. And, of course, when she said Pizza Dog, he gives a big smile, and then she gives him some food, right? So he loves that name. So later on, we see that Kate and Clint are walking. They're talking about the Tracksuit Mafia, and he mentions that there's someone above Maya that you don't want to mess with. Again, who is this person? I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. But it is all pointing to this one particular person, it seems like, right? And then when they're in the cab, Kate said that Jack is offering her butterscotch was suspicious. And this was just funny because Clint just looked at her and just like, yeah, that is a suspicious person, right? Because he didn't explain the monogram part or the significance or anything. So I love that. I love how they're just putting little blips of those things in there, right? And then Clint asked Kate if the tracksuit mafia was looking for something else at the auction. So we know that the watch is going to have a bigger tie-in and clue. Maybe it's to the person that is running the tracksuit mafia, or maybe it's someone that has nothing to do to the show or what we've seen so far. Who knows? But we know that watch is going to come into play. And again, I'm still at a loss for who it is. So if you have any theories or suggestions, definitely send me a message on Twitter or reach out to us. So we get to the Bishop's penthouse. And Kate says that she's going to go into her mom's computer to get into Bishop Securities to look up Maya Lopez and Kazi and to see if there's any records on them because they have all these access to this data, right? And what's interesting is that I'm not sure how Kate knew Kazi's last name. It's never been mentioned or anything like that, but somehow once she pulled it up, it's like she already knew who it was. So I, I don't know what was going on there, but who knows? And then it, they find out that Kazi works for a company called Sloan Limited. And Clint says that sounds familiar. Now, I did a quick search on Google. And nothing significant came up. I don't remember anyone named Sloan in the Marvel Universe. And the Google search that came up just showed two characters that seemed to only appear in one issue. It doesn't seem really significant. It doesn't seem like there's any tie-in. So if you have any ideas of what Sloan Limited could be, let me know. And then it ends with Jack's information not accessible because Kate wonders if Jack is involved somehow, right? So she tries to go in. She gets locked out. And then Clint is walking around the house and Jack holds up Ronan's sword up to his neck, and that's how it ends, right? Now, what's really interesting is, again, when we get to the end credit scene, a lot of the animation and the illustration is inspired from David Aha and Matt Hollingsworth, especially the Challenger card. That's straight up from the cover of one of the issues. So I, I want to remind you that we do have a petition where David Aha is not being paid for his work and the contribution and the influence that it has on the show. So. And the show links, definitely go and sign the petition and share that. It's on change.org and let people know that, you know, I think it's the right thing for Disney and for Marvel to do. 
to pay him for that because they're making a lot of money off this show. A lot of people love it, but David is not getting any compensation for that. And then what's also interesting in this end credit scene is that we see a coin hit the bottle and it the bottle kind of spins around, right? Now, we haven't seen anything like this in the show yet, but in the comics, we see this happen quite a bit where Clint is actually taking a coin or is taking some sort of small object and he would snap and it would fling across the room and like hit something. And this is actually something that comes into play at the very last issue of the run. So I thought it was really interesting that they included this. I don't know if that's supposed to be foreshadowing anything or not, but it is significant in the comics. I wonder if it's going to have a play in here. So, so that is the episode. Here's my final thoughts about the show. So like I said, I loved it. I thought it was great. One thing I am disappointed about, though, is that the show didn't lean into Maya's indigenous background as a Native American or her culture. This is a key trait of the character, and Maya was even part of the Marvel's Voices Indigenous Voices issue last year, and I'll put a link to the show notes so that way you know what I'm talking about. And so maybe her background will be explored a little bit more, but I thought that the scene where she talks to her father about her dragons could have been replaced with a conversation about their Native American heritage. So I think that's a missed opportunity. I don't know why they decided to go with dragons than anything else. And I think it was just a missed opportunity for them to talk more about her Native American heritage. So hopefully they'll explore this more later in the show. But if they don't, I'm, I'll am i say I'm personally disappointed that they didn't do this. So, All right. So one of the things that we've been talking about is Jack Duquesne as the swordsman from the comics, right? And at the end of the episode, we saw that Jack was holding the Ronin sword up to Clint, and it stops there. So I had proposed in my previous episode that maybe him and Clint has history, because I know in the comics they were trained by the same people, and maybe the swordsman was actually the person that trained him. And now I'm wondering, what if it's not just Clint that was Ronin, but during those five years, Clint met up with Jack? And they teamed up and they both hold the mantle of Ronan. And that in the scene where we saw Maya's father was killed, it was actually Jack that killed Maya's father and not Clint, right? Because again, I thought it was interesting that they made a good point to try to not show too much of Ronan in there. And so I'm wondering if this is what we find out. And maybe this is why Clint remembers Sloan, uh, the Sloan company was familiar, right? And so I'm wondering if this is what we're going to see later on. It's a theory. It's far-fetched. I know that. So... Uh, we still haven't seen Yelena. Again, IMDb can be misleading, can be false, because before the show aired, it said all six episodes. And then when the first two episodes drop, it says four episodes. So it keeps going down, down, down. Now, we know that her appearance has been confirmed by the writer and director, Riz Thomas. So we know that she is going to appear. It's just a mystery on how she's going to do that, right? Now, let's get to what everyone's probably thinking from the start of this episode, from whenever we've heard these rumors, you know, months ago. Is Wilson Fisk going to show up? Was he the man in the black suit at the beginning? And again, this makes sense because in the comics, he was the adopted father of Maya Lopez. So this could actually well be the case, right? Is he the uncle that Kazi referred to? Is he the one that bought the Avengers I talked about in the last episode, right? It seems like everything is pointing in that direction and is just fueling the rumors. One thing I did notice, though, is that if Wilson Fisk is going to be played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who played Kingpin Wilson Fisk in the Netflix Daredevil series. If it is going to be him, there's something a little bit off about the chuckle that we heard at the beginning, because that chuckle did not sound like Vincent D'Onofrio 
from the Netflix Daredevil series. So if it is Kingpin, it may be Vincent D'Onofrio. It may not. I really hope it is because I think he did a great job of it. Um, but even if it is Vincent D'Onofrio, it's probably going to be a reboot of the character since the chuckle doesn't sound the same way. Maybe they're changing that part about his voice. Who knows? Here's the thing, though. Even though it seems like everything is pointing that direction, I have a really bad feeling that this could actually be Jack Duquesne and not Wilson Fisk. I hope not. I really hope that it's Wilson Fisk, but I just have a bad feeling that they're doing what I call the Ralph Boner, right? The, and I call this, this is going to be a Ralph Boner alert. And this is a callback to when we saw Wanda in WandaVision, how Peter Maximoff shows up to Wanda's house. And we all know that Peter Maximoff was played by Evan Peters in the X-Men series of Fox. And we know that at some point, the X-Men is going to be introduced to the MCU and everyone was flipping out. Because we thought like somehow this is how it was going to happen. And it turns out that Peter Maximoff was just a guy named Ralph Boner. And we don't know the future of that yet. And so it was just kind of like a huge red herring and end up disappointing a lot of people. So now anytime that we get like a little red herring where we think it's going to be somebody because it seems like it's pointing that direction and turns out it's something completely different. I'm going to call it the Ralph Boner alert. So and I hope I'm wrong. I hope it is Wilson Fisk. But I just had this bad feeling it's going to be Jack. So. Overall, again, this has been my favorite episode of the series and of all the Marvel projects. There's so much emotions, so many little things and Easter eggs, and just a lot of fun, both on the screen and just the writing staff and the cinematography, the acting. Everyone just did a fantastic job on this episode. So if you have anything you want to share or discuss with me about this episode, definitely hit me up on Twitter at Deshaun Hulk, or you can contact me through the podcast social media accounts, whichever works best for you. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts and review for Hawkeye Episode 3, Echoes. And that wraps up another TV review of The Capsule Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. And you can also follow us on social media under the username at Capsule Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out, tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsulelife.com. Until next time, keep watching Hawkeye. Oh, 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 oh,